The following presentation is brought to you by KMmedia.pro. Please visit KMmedia.pro for more information. Now stay right where you are as we present. Welcome to Positive Talk Radio, evolving ideas, one conversation at a time. Great guests, dynamic stories and interviews, plus new thoughts on a wide range of topics and concepts. I hope that you'll hang with me, Kevin McDonald, my friends, and of course, you, as together we work to understand why we are all here and what we can do to make our world a better place for all of us to be happy, be kind, and live in peace together. Yep, that's Positive Talk Radio. Buddy, to another episode of Positive Talk Radio. My name is Kevin McDonald, and I get to talk to some of the greatest people on the planet. And with us is one right now. His name is Larry Jorgensen, and he is an author. He's written, uh, let's see, the, the, you got to put that right. He's written The Coke Trail and The Return to the you know, Coke Trail or Coca Cola Trail. And and uh, he's got another book that he'll be coming out with shortly, but he's 81 years young and he is vibrant and 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 working to uh, uh, working to sell his books. And he loves to write. And Larry, welcome to the show. How are you today? Thank you, Kevin. We're doing good and uh, going to be a lot of fun again to, to be talking with you. It is. It is indeed. And by the way, you're an old radio guy from when there was a lot of radio guys. Yep. Uh, you and when did you start your career in radio? I started my career in radio in South Texas, about as far south as you can go in Texas and not be in Mexico. A little bitty town called Raymondville, a mighty powerful 250 watt AM blasted station, <laughs> and uh, you you learned to do everything. I mean, you know, you. you you, you did the air shifts. You did, you know, guy. The general manager said one day, "Here, run out to the the high school. The, there's a, a radio loop on the on the backstop out there. Do play by play." I said, "Do what? Play by play? Are there going to be a baseball game out there?" You know, they put me in jail one time as a promotion. You know, bail <laughs> bail Larry out of jail. You know, so here I am. I'm in jail. Um, I did, I did play by play. On a football game, it was the Texas State High School Championship for the smallest. It must have been like Class C or something. We did it from the University of Texas Stadium. Now, you know that's a huge, huge place, right? That's a 100,000-seater. And on one side of the stadium were probably all the population of the town of Ghana, Texas. And on the other which was the area we were from. That was down in the Rio Grande Valley. And on the other side of the of the stadium was probably all the population from Kwana. So it was Donna and Kwana. And uh, Kwana was from far northwest Texas. You know, and we're sitting way up there in the standard broadcast booth. Well, you couldn't, there was no crowd noise. You couldn't hear a thing. You know? <laughs> There's these two little groups of people down there. But uh, yeah, that was... That was my intro to radio. Uh, went on to radio in Louisiana, TV in uh, Shreveport, finally TV in Green Bay during the Lombardi years. 
Oh, that was fun. You got time? I'll tell you a good Lombardi story. I'd love to hear one because there's a book that I read. It's called Instant Replay by uh-huh. Jerry Kramer. Yeah. And, and he he details the uh, championship year. Run for uh, daylight. Yeah. Yes, indeed. Where they had the ice bowl and where it was, was really. There. I was after the game. I'm standing in downtown Green Bay trying to do man in the street interviews and the cameras were freezing up, you know, but <laughs> oh, it was great. But I got to tell you a Lombardi story. One, uh, one Sunday, the Packers had gone out to uh, West coast, LA, wherever they were going, supposed to win the game. I mean, it was a cinch. They were going to win the game. Well, in those days there were three TV stations. We were one and old, old Vince let, a reporter, the sports director, and the photographer from each station on the plane to go with the players, fly out to wherever they were going. So they go out there, they're, oh, we're going to win this game, and they got really badly beat, okay? So I'm at, the, I'm at the station that night for whatever reason. Phone rings. It's our sports director. And I said, hey, Bob, golly, that's too bad about <laughs> the Packers losing. When you, where are you at? When are you going to be back in? You know, those were the days filmed at 10, right? Right. And he said, well, we're at the airport. And I said, what do you mean you're at the airport? The Green Bay Airport? No, we're still out here in L.A. or wherever it was. He said, Vince kicked the media off the plane. All <laughs> the TV guys, all the print guys, get off the plane Whatever he intended to tell those boys going back to Green Bay, he didn't want nobody listening. You know, <laughs> yeah, I don't think he could do that today, but boy, he did it then. Old Vince Lombardi ran things. He had an amazing amount of power uh, as a as a head football coach back in then in those days, and he also negotiated some of the contracts, and he did. Of course, those were the days, if you remember correctly, where most of the ball players had to have a second job in the off season. Yeah, make enough money playing ball. You know, I was doing after I quit doing TV, I was doing some uh, PR work and amongst other things for the trucking industry. And Ray Nitschke, right? Big Ray Nitschke, when when he retired from football, he he became the national sales director for a little trucking company out of uh, Upper Michigan, Claremont Trucking. And old Ray would go around the around the Midwest, you know, and he'd make speeches to, in those days, they'd have traffic clubs and that, you know, and and, uh, I had the privilege of of helping promote Ray Nitschke making speeches in the trucking industry. A lot of, but you're right, in those days, they they better find something to do when they get done playing football. Absolutely. And by the way, I, it's not very often that I get an opportunity to talk to somebody, a man on the street who was there. And you were there for a lot of very interesting, let's say you're 15 years older, 16 years, 17 years older than me. So that would mean that in the 50s, you remember uh, the things in the 50s and the 60s and the 70s and all the way. Did you ever think when you were working in one of those three television stations in town that there would now be hundreds of television stations that you could watch on cable and, 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 and streaming and all of that stuff. 
it's changed so much in the last 80 years. Oh, and it's gone from news to noise. I get I get so frustrated. I'll watch a little news at night and I shut it off, man. It just it's just the same old over and over. Um, uh, you know, the, the word journalism has is gone. It's all gone. You know, don't, don't even get me on that. But it, but those were fun days. You know, you, you you did whatever you could to get the story. If you had to get an airplane and fly up someplace, you got it. You know, uh, film on the buses. You know, whatever. Just get the stuff in, and it, it was fun because it was a challenge. Every day was a challenge, and uh, and there was only three of us. You know, in fact, when the third station went on the air in Green Bay, everybody said, you know, the other two guys said, oh, they, they'll never make it. That was an ABC station. They'll never make it. That. <laughs> That thing will shut down in a couple of years, you know. So were you were you NBC or CBS affiliate? We were NBC. We were uh, Channel Five, Green Bay, Wisconsin. My, my news director um, went finally to NBC corporate in Chicago, uh, WMAQ, and uh, tried to get me to join him. And I just looked at that Chicago traffic, you know, and I said. No, I'm a country boy. I'm going to stay in Green Bay. Too much fun up here. Besides, we were snowmobiling then. <laughs> oh, that, that, that's really cool. So when you were in the 50s, air travel was propeller yeah, generally. And, uh, and you went, I imagine that you went a lot of places by train. Absolutely. One of, one of the best stories I remember doing um, they ran a train, a passenger train, from Milwaukee, Wisconsin, to the tip of northern Upper Peninsula, Michigan, to Calumet. It was called the Copper Country Limited. Well, the post office decided to quit using trains to haul the mail, and it ultimately was the end of financial resources for the Copper Country Limited. I rode that thing on the last ride. We took films, we interviewed, you know, great story. I wish I still had it. It was, uh, yeah, it was railroad in those days. And now, you know, propeller planes and what's a propeller plane? (laughs) We got got involved in Green Bay with the, uh, the hockey team. Green Bay Bobcats hockey team, and we'd we'd play. I didn't play. We'd play up in uh, Canada, in Thunder Bay, and we'd fly these DC threes across Lake Superior with a bunch of hockey players and whoever else would get squeezed out of the plane. You know, but it was crank those propellers up and hope they make it across Lake Superior. Uh, are you there? Oh, they're back. You froze up there for a second. Are you back? Are you there? Yeah. Uh, Can you hear me? Uh, you're breaking up a little bit. Hmm. Maybe if I move over here Uh, a little bit, I don't know. Normally this works. Oh, no, you're better now. You're better now. So that's good. Uh, sometimes, sometimes the uh, internet gods, you know. Did you ever stop and think though that, that there would be a time as you were as you were growing up? Did you ever stop and think that there would be a time where you could be in Florida and I could be in Seattle 
and we could have a real live conversation with video? No. In fact, I'm, I'm so far out in the boonies, I'm, I'm along a little bayou out here in Louisiana, that the way I get on the Internet, uh, good old Verizon, uh, they ought to give me some something for this mention, they've got this thing called Jetpack. You know, and you 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 plug it in, and it puts you up on the bird. You know, so I take my jetpack every place, especially writing books. You know, you end up in some really lonely places. I got my little jetpack and my computer, and I'm ready to talk to Kevin or whoever. Oh, that's cool. That's that's really cool. Now, what part of Louisiana are you at, by the way? Well, the the center of the state is Alexandria, so <laughs> I am south east of alexandria i'm i'm in what they call the start of cajun country and it is indeed cajun i mean a lot of french and and you know you said something about cooking and all that man i'll tell you what one of the things about living in louisiana is you're either cooking something or else you're talking about what you're going to be cooking you know (laughs) it's it's good eating down here um but it's uh it's pretty i'm on a little bayou People here are great, uh, no hassles. You know, I just, it's where you need to be if you're going to be a writer. Well, I, I tell you, I'm not sure if I told you the story of my golf game in Louisiana or not. Did I tell you that story? Do you remember? No, I don't remember that one. Okay. Well, I need to tell you that story because uh, I, for a while, I was a traveling chicken salesman and I spent the weekend in Louisiana. Uh, because I was going to go to the corporate office on Monday anyway. So rather than fly all the way home and then come back. And uh, so I decided to play golf on Saturday and Sunday. And there was a nice golf course there. So I, I play, was playing golf and I picked, I w- was playing with two local guys. And um, and uh, it was like the, the golf course was cut out of a, out of the bayou or out of the uh, Everglades, Everglades or some, some, you know, there was a lot of vegetation and on the, on the outskirts. So it was the, of course, the, the uh, golf course itself, but the, if you hit the ball out of bounds, it would go into the woods. And so of course me being a good chicken salesman, but a lousy golfer, I hit one ball and it started and it, and it went, and it sliced right into the bayou, and uh, and uh, so I started walking over to it, and and the the guy said, just deadpan, he said, you know, I don't think I'd walk over. I don't, I don't think I'd go in there if I was you. And I said, what do you mean? He said, well, there's something in there that's gonna bite you, and it's gonna hurt. <laughs> so, so I said, there are animals in there. He said there yeah there are lots and lots of them you better not go in there <laughs> so so i didn't i got it just so but i lo- was looking at the you know because he was saying that there were alligators and there were water moccasins and there were the rattlesnake there was all kinds of stuff in there that that's kind of tough, yeah. so yeah, that's- we've got them here you know I'm, I'm about 30 feet from the bayou and uh it's not unusual to have gators. So I've never had a gator in the yard. I have had when the water's high, I've had uh, a gator who loves to sun himself on my dock, but uh, they've been pretty, you know, I think the problem you hear about like in Florida and that is the gators are losing their, their habitat. Yeah. And, and they're, they're not happy about it. Well, here we got happy alligators, you know, they're fat, they're happy. And, you know, 
They don't bother anybody. Well, and and they now the uh, in Florida they've got uh, problems with the uh, the pythons. Yeah, and the, they, and the pythons are are now competing with the alligators for the available food supply, and so that that makes it that makes it tough. And so they're finding that they are getting out into where humans are more so. Of course, we keep entrenching, we keep moving closer and closer and building housing developments exactly. right next to it and stuff. So Yeah, you know, Gator wakes up one morning and finds he's in somebody's backyard, you know. <laughs> that's that's it. So anyway, so you've been you've been writing for a, a, a while. You've got uh, the two books out. You've got a third coming out. The Coca-Cola Trail, the people and places, and the history of Coca-Cola. You, this needs to be in every museum or every bottling plant in the country, is where this needs to be because um, you you detail the um, all the way from when Coca-Cola was sold in a pharmacy over the counter to where it became worldwide distribution and. Uh, and so you, there's a lot of research that you did in here, and a lot of it is, is it's really interesting the how it's changed. Like we were talking about, everything's changing and has changed a lot. The 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 way that we deliver products and and Coke and that stuff from the 1800s to now is like they would not have even recognized what what it was like in the 1800s if they were to if they were to fast forward. 140 years and be here now they would they would not know what to think they wouldn't know what was going on well you know it was interesting because i hadn't really had a particular goal in mind when i set out to write this and one of the um, great grandsons of the family that was the first to bottle coca-cola um talked to me. He said, what are you doing? I told him I was doing, in fact, I was doing uh, some information on their museum. And he said, you don't, no one has ever done what you are doing in a book. It's always about Coca-Cola, Atlanta, Georgia, you know, the corporate hassles and Asa Candler and all that stuff, Woodruff and the whole bunch. Nobody has really gotten into the guys that made it happen which was, you know, as they say, your local bottler uh, throughout the United States. They made it happen for Coca-Cola, no doubt about it, you know. And that's, uh, to my knowledge, the Coca-Cola Trail is the only book that has come out that has really concentrated on that part of Coca-Cola. Well, and it's a big story because when they, <clears throat> when the bottlers first started, before even before they started, Coke was being delivered by keg, wasn't it? Right. Um, keg and by, um, you know, these big ceramic-type jugs, and it was syrup. That, that's all it was. It was the Coca-Cola syrup. And, you know, if you were had a soda fountain or a drugstore with a fountain in it, you know, uh, you ordered the syrup, and you put a little bit in the glass and gave it a shot of water, the carbonated water and Coca-Cola. You know. That's They used to call those guys soda jerks, didn't they? Yeah. Didn't they? Because they would, they would jerk that, that uh, handle that had the carbonated water. It would plunge into the glass with a little bit of syrup on the bottom. So they were soda 
jerks. They were jerking that water into there. You know, <laughs> you know what's interesting, you know, Asa Candler, who at that point, he didn't invent Coca-Cola syrup, but he, he bought it about three years after it was invented. And he was really interested in selling the syrup. Let's just get everybody buying the syrup and boy, that's what we're going to do. And he, he thought to quote Mr. Candler, that bottling Coca-Cola was a pretty dumb idea. And he didn't have anything to do with it. And finally he took, you know, the two the two lawyers out of Chattanooga, leave it to a couple of lawyers, to convince him that they should have the exclusive US rights to bottle Coca-Cola. You know, he didn't want to do it. He thought, no, you can't bottle Coca-Cola. Finally they kept beating on him and he said, All right, all right. What do you want? We want the exclusive rights. So he told him, he said, go back to your hotel, draw up a contract, bring it to me in the morning, I'll take a look at it. So they draw up this contract. They are going to be the exclusive bottlers of Coca-Cola throughout the United States. So they bring it back to old Mr. Candler, and he's just about had it with these guys. So he's, all right, all right, all right I'm going to sign it. He said, except you don't get Mississippi. Because old Joe Biedenarn is already doing it in Mississippi, you know. So he gave them the rights, sold them, quote, the rights to bottle Coca-Cola throughout the United States for a dollar. And he never collected the dollar, by the way. And, <laughs> and he told them as they left the building, he said, this is a dumb idea. If it doesn't work, I don't want you to come crying back to me about it. <laughs> <laughs> now I gotta ask you that that dollar generated into. Do you have any idea what the sales for bottled and canned Coke are in the United States today? I don't know, but I'll tell you. I'll bet you old old, old Mr. Buffett could tell you because he, <laughs> he's got enough stock in the Coca Cola. He believes in it, you know, and and it's worldwide, Kevin. That's the thing. I had you, you know, you're a radio guy. I get an email from Dubai. <laughs> sends me an email. He said, "Would you? Can I do an interview with you on our radio station here in Dubai?" So cool. I answer him back. I said, "Well, yeah. Why?" <laughs> He's like, "Coca-Cola is popular in Dubai, and I've got the biggest radio station in Dubai." So I did a half hour with a guy in Dubai. Well, I come to find out, the big stadium. I find this out years later. The big stadium in Dubai, where they're having the big soccer tournament right now, is the Coca-Cola Stadium. You know, <laughs> they're everywhere. They're, you know, it's like Chicken Man. They're everywhere. You know. Well, yeah, and, and it's it's amazing that uh, the the volume and that was a business <clears throat> that 140 years ago didn't even exist. And think of the volume and the sales now of bottled water bottled coke bottled you know it's, it's pepsi all, all that stuff it's it's the amount of revenue that's been generated by that that wasn't even there in 140 years ago well and coca-cola has stayed stayed and this is why the their stock is so great because they have stayed in touch with trends they buy companies you know they just bought powerade look out gatorade you got competition coming you know they own uh, well the first thing they bought was minute made you, you guys know that product oh sure and, you know and uh, if you go into the grocery store right now you're going to probably see fair life milk 
That's owned by Coca-Cola. You know, they just stay on top of what's going on. And the company is just so far ahead of the rest of the world. You know, it's funny. You remember the, uh, maybe we told the story before about the, uh, the, the Coca-Cola Pepsi challenge. Yes, but tell it again. Okay, well, you know, in those days, they had this little challenge that Pepsi was promoting. Come sample, we'll give you two little glasses. One have Pepsi, one have Coca-Cola. So people would take, they filmed it on TV and all that. People were selecting Pepsi. And <laughs> Coca-Cola was like, wait a minute. what's up? So Coca-Cola, in their wisdom, <clears throat> lack thereof, decides, to, what's the problem? They analyzed the two drinks and they said, well, Pepsi's sweeter. That's the problem. The, the people want a sweeter drink. So they made Coca-Cola sweeter. And they came out with, remember the new Coca-Cola? Oh, yes. All right. Well, what they didn't stop to think about, if you have two little sips of a beverage, two different beverages, and one is sweeter, you'll probably go with the sweeter one. But if you're going to drink the whole bottle, you probably want to avoid the sweeter one and go with one that's got some real flavor to it. They didn't think about that. So they come out with a new Coca-Cola. It's sweet and wonderful. You know, in doing the book, I had so many Coca-Cola bottlers tell me, you can't believe, when they came out with that, our poor salesmen, our root men, would be in the stores, and little old ladies would come up to them with their umbrella and say, if you don't bring my Coke back, you're going to get it. <laughs> two years. Two years and gosh knows how many millions of dollars to convince us that we should buy the new Coke. But and it never sold. It's what? like it's, the original Coke is like some people's religion. It's like this is what I drink. This is what I'm going to drink. The new Coke, forget it. I don't want anything to do with it. I want my original Coke or I'm going to hit you over the head with my umbrella. <laughs> you got it. Well, you know, I just saw... This week, you know, we have all this commotion going on in Russia and Ukraine. And, of course, right. Coca-Cola has halted all operations in Russia. Well, they should. there are three bottling operations over there that have tried to jump in. Uh, and the one is making a thing that I forget what they call something cola. Um, and in addition, they're making a drink that is to be similar to a Fanta and another one similar to Sprite, you know. And then there's another company that's that's making Kima Cola, which is from the province of Kima where they are. There's you know, three companies that are doing this. And the story uh, actually came from London on the that economic newspaper. Um and it showed pictures of the bottles, and you know they were trying so desperately to pick up this market. People didn't like the product. <laughs> it said it was it tasted terrible, and it wasn't effervescent, you know. So, but uh, you know, and there I guess there are still a few places, some retailers that have a small supply left of the original Coca Cola, and the price has gone up two hundred thousand percent or twenty two hundred percent. <laughs> since coca-cola left town you know yep the the product is it's everywhere it's just everywhere and it's it's also people have been trying and have been trying for a hundred years to duplicate it and nobody's been able to do it no and and so there that's that's why you know and when 
I had a girlfriend uh, in high school. She was a Pepsi fan. I was a Coke fan, and uh, so we didn't get along very well for that for that thing because you couldn't. They would they they're distinctive, different tastes. And uh, if you're a Coke fan, you'll never want anything else, and that's why New Coke failed. Is, that's is, exactly right. And now Coke, I don't know if it's if it's in your market yet. Uh, and I, I'm not a big Coca-Cola drinker, Kevin. I, it's never been my thing. Uh, but Coke has recently come out with this Coca-Cola coffee. I don't know if you've seen it. I haven't seen it yet. You mentioned it last time, and I haven't seen it here yet. Of course, you've got to remember, this is the home of Starbucks. And so so they, they would have a tough time. Yeah. But, uh, but that's a good product, and I enjoy that. I, I have usually have one of those around the house. You know. I got to ask you, Larry, if you are not a, a big Coke drinker, and so you didn't follow the company, what inspired you to write the books? Well, actually, I didn't intend to write the book. Oh, uh, I, you, know, I, you know, the old freelance game. I was doing some freelance writing. And I realized we have a Coca-Cola museum in Vicksburg, Mississippi, which honors the place Coca-Cola was first bottled. And there is a similar museum not too far away in Monroe, Louisiana. And I thought, bingo, that's a travel story. A guy that wants into Coca-Cola and he wants to see two Coca-Cola museums in one day, great story. So I, I set out to do this I was going to sell it to Travel Magazine, you know. Well, by the time I got to the second one in Monroe, that's where I met the great-grandson of of the Beatnarns, and that's where he told me, this isn't just Vicksburg and Monroe. This is all over the place. And he started giving me names and people to contact, spent a lot of time up in Arkansas, wasn't selling chickens, but I was sure chasing down a lot of Coca-Cola stories. And uh, the, what the neat thing I found is the Coca-Cola bottlers, the Coca-Cola distributors are so gracious. You know, whatever you need, can we help you? You know, they would dig out old family photos, and it was it was truly a wonderful journey, you know. And uh, I met a lot of people, learned a lot. And it started out, I was just going to do a little travel feature. And then and then the first book went so well that uh, I'd get people would email me or they'd see me at a show or something. And they'd say, well, yeah, but you forgot about Starkville. Oh, <laughs> yeah. Well, we, so I'd write down Starkville, you know, throw it in a box, you know. Pretty soon I had a box full of forgot abouts. Okay. So you had to write a second book. So I started digging out my forgotabouts and researching those, and bingo, we got returned to the Coca-Cola Trail. Now I gotta ask you because they are—I know that they—they they value their logo very much. So, and your their logo is right on your book. I had to give that to you, or did they charge you for it? No, they didn't, but they sure wanted to know what I was going to do with it. You know? <laughs> there you go. And, and I submitted early copy. Uh, fortunately, there was a great guy in archives who helped me push it through, and it's totally licensed. And when I came out with the second book, 
<laughs> one of the Coca-Cola distributors who became a good friend said, don't worry about it. He said, you know, we this happens all the time in Coca-Cola. It's an extension of the product. You know, yeah. just go with it. Your license has got you covered, you know. So we're licensed. Coca-Cola has never said anything about it one way or the other. And, and I tried in doing the book not to go to Coca-Cola archives or corporate in any way. I didn't want to get involved. With, I, they're great people, but so much has been written about Coca-Cola corporate. I wanted to go out and blaze these new trails. And that's what the book is all about. And the bottler is the guy who they are on the ground floor of, of everything and, and, and from putting the product together to selling it on the streets to to you know uh with their trucks that they go and, and have their routes and all of that it's 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 a big deal and, well, and it's community involvement yes. you know how many places can you find coca-cola signs and stadiums and scholarships to children etc cetera, etc cetera. you know they they dominate christmas for crying out loud they kidnap santa but you know, Coca-Cola at one point, this would have been back in about the 60s, they decided that, you know, this we should be bottling more corporate. Look at the, all this money, these independent bottlers, and they tried to actually take away the, the licenses of territories. And the bottlers took that to court and won. So then Coca-Cola starts buying up. You know, independent bottlers. There's some of them. You know, we're in third generation uh, families, and they're you know the kids want to get out and do something else. And there's big money there, and Coke says, "Hey, we'll buy it." So Coca-Cola starts buying territories, buying them back. You know what they found? They couldn't handle it. They couldn't put the personal touch into that that the bottlers were putting into it in the communities. And little by little, a lot of that territory went back to local bottlers and local distributors. And Coca-Cola, you know, like the dog chasing the car, Kevin, you catch it, what are you going to do with it? And, <laughs> and, and that's what happened with Coca-Cola when they started buying all these. They bought a, a Coca-Cola independent bottling operation where he had, he had invested in set up bottlers all over the country. He was in Chattanooga. They finally bought from the third generation of that family the whole operation for $1.3 billion. Wow. Yeah. That, that'll that buy the third generation a lot of golf balls. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> Which is probably what they wanted to go and do anyway because it's third generation. They'd grown up with it. Their dad was in it. Their grandpa was in it. And uh, they were their passion, and they've they always had money. Yeah, they, grandpa, want to, they want to do something else, you know. And, and yeah. Chattanooga, they refer to a lot of people in Chattanooga and in, in the area refer to Chattanooga as the Coca Cola town because there's so much that has happened because of Coca Cola money. And there's, there's probably as much Coca Cola history in Chattanooga or more than there is in Atlanta. You know, yeah, it's, probably. It's well, you know, what's interesting about that is that generally speaking, third generation businesses don't do as well because grandpa who started it had came from nothing. 
He didn't have come from money and he built this business. And so he was passionate about this business. The son comes in, he saw what grandpa did. And so dad then does the same thing. But by the time it gets to the third generation, they grow up. They've already always had money. They always, they were able to get a great education. They were able to go do what they wanted to when they wanted to. And bottling is a, is a hard work. It's a relationship business. And it's, you got to be there for every, you know, uh, up and down the street type of thing. So it's, I can understand why a third generation for 1.2 billion would want to give it up. Well, you know, uh, Asa Candler, who was the one that bought it from Pemberton who invented the syrup, he finally decided to run for mayor of Atlanta. He became mayor of Atlanta. Well, when he did, he gifted his children Coca-Cola, the whole corporation. Oh well, it took only three it took only three years for the kids to sell it. And they sold it off to then what was called the syndicate, Mr. Woodruff and the whole gang that came in and bought Coca-Cola. Well, the kids got enough money that, you know, that good times roll. I mean, Asa Candler Jr. was, I don't want to say, well-known for spending money on lavish lifestyles and built mansions and fancy cars and boats and just lived the good life, you know. Uh, it was dad's money, you know. Oh, yeah. Uh-oh. We froze up Are we again. disconnected again? Yeah, we froze up a little bit, but now you're back. Yep. We're, we're coming and going at, at the moment. So, um, Larry, are you there? Uh, I'm there. Uh, you're coming back. Okay. Yeah. So it, it calls it's good. It's Kevin editing project. <laughs> no, that's all right. It's 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 live radio. What do you do? What do you do? Um, I got a question for you. The the inventor of Coca Cola. Did you follow his story? What happened to him? How much did he sell Coke for? And then what happened to him after that? Well, he he invented the syrup. That was Mr. Right. Mr. Pemberton. And um, he had been uh, a pharmacist of sorts in Columbus, Georgia. And then he, he went off the war. He fought the Yankees. He was in the Confederate side. And uh, he came back with a, a pretty serious uh, injury from the war, pain, and uh, he was looking for something that gives pain relief that wouldn't become addicted to. So um, being a, a pharmacist and knowing a little bit, he realized that he could put together a concoction using the coca leaf and, and the cola nut that would give it good flavor and would give it the relief of, of coca, not to be confused with cocaine, although they both end up coming from the same product, the coca leaf. So he, he actually developed the syrup while he was still in Columbus, Georgia, but moved to Atlanta, 
where he continued to be a pharmacist, but also continued to work on his formula and got it to the point where he, he was happy with it. And, you know, the, the first one, they, they took the syrup over to uh, the, the drugstore that had a, a fountain and uh, tried it and people liked it, you know. Well, he, he was still having some you know, some aging problems from his war injury and so forth. And he only had it about three years and sold it to Asa Candler. And for a small amount, I don't recall, I think it was less than less than ten thousand on three or four thousand dollars that he sold his formula and the rights to Coca-Cola and so forth, you know. And it was really Asa Candler and uh, his family that got really active in promoting Coca-Cola and promoting the syrup and taking it across the country, making it happen. Do we know what happened to, to uh, the original inventor? Did, did he live a long time afterwards or? No, he, he did not. That's one of the reasons that he sold. He, I can't tell you exactly that he died, but uh, he he probably five six years after the product went on the market, he was gone. Oh, then then then, I I, I would have felt terrible for him if he was like in his mid twenties and he sold it and he lived sixty years and saw Coke become what it was and and he ended up on the poor farm. That would be that would be a terrible story. No, he he was he, he didn't have it that long. Um, it was starting to do something, but even then he was uncertain as to where the future was going with it. And uh, he was, he found someone that was interested in the product and, and expand on what he'd done. And he was just enjoying well, that's that's awesome, and you're and you're breaking up again, young man. But I want to make sure that everybody knows to go get the the Coca Cola Trail. Um, you can pick it up at Amazon and or, or any of your uh, booksellers. And if you've got a museum or a bottling plant, this would be a great thing for you to sell in the lobby of your bottling plant. If you if you uh, if you bottle Coke, so that would be I would I would and his book sales are doing really well and. Uh, and I want to thank you, Larry, for being on the program. Do you have a website that we can reference? You bet. It's real simple. It's the Coca-Cola Trail.com. And Very both, nice. books, both books are on there. All right. And the third book, which I'm going to have you back, and we're going to talk about the third book next time, okay? Yeah, it, it's a fun story about a, a great shipwreck. And when when is that going to be published? Do you know? Yeah, it's at the printers right now, and they're telling me we'll have copies by the end of June. By the end of June, I'll have you back, and we'll talk about that book. All right, it's been I fun. Want, I appreciate. It. I want to thank you. You're you're a, a marvelous interview. You're a great guy to to have around, and I, a fellow radio broadcaster. It's great fun to, to to talk to you, sir. Thank you, Kevin. I've enjoyed it too, and we'll share a lot more memories next time. Absolutely, absolutely. So it's it's great. And go to um um the Coca-Cola Trail.com and buy the book from there and uh or go to Amazon or anybody else and then they'll have it for you. So again, stay right yeah, where you buy are. And buy it from who? I say if you buy it on the website and tell me who you are, we'll sign it to you. 
Oh, now there's an offer. There's a great offer. So do that. Uh, go to the website and buy it there. That is the Coca-Cola trail.com. And again, thank you so much, sir, for being here. If you wait right there, I got to do this and I'll be all right. The big. Thanks for enjoying this episode all the way to the end. Please give us a like and subscribe to this channel. This has been a production of kmmedia.pro. Please visit our website, oddly enough, named kmmedia.pro for more details about us and our mission, which is to provide great positive programming designed to inspire us all. I'm Kevin McDonald, and I'm proud of these shows, and I truly hope that you'll like them and share them with friends and family. So on behalf of our entire team, remember, be kind to each other because each other's all we've got. We'll see you next time.